Hi, and welcome to the Willow Ridge Church Weekly Podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning. If you've got your Bibles with you, go and open them up to James chapter 3. While, when I came back from India, I learned a valuable lesson. Before I left to go to India, I kind of gathered a staff together the week before. We had a lot of things that were going on. We weren't able to meet together as a staff. And I said, hey, while I'm gone, here's what I'd like for you guys to do. Kind of work out all of the details of the Harvest Hangout. And then when I get back, we can, you can update me on, on what I need to know and what I need to be aware of and all those things. And so uh, they did a wonderful job of, of figuring out all of the details. And I knew that they would do this. We've done something like this before. And so I sat down afterwards. I believe it was me and, and Dave and, and, and one of the Joels. It wasn't both Joels. It was one of them. So it kept communication simple, right? I just had to say Joel and they knew which one I was talking to, right? Um, and I said, well, well, let me know, like, what am I responsible for? That's what we want to know, right? What am I, what do I need to do that night? And I heard the wonderful word, nothing. Like, we got taken care of. There's nothing for you to do. And then Dave, and y'all know how Dave is, right? Dave can talk you into anything, you know? He's got that voice, right? And he said, well, you're gonna judge the car competition part of it. And I said, so what you're telling me is, I have nothing to be responsible for other than making everyone else who's there who doesn't win mad at me. Like that's, that's the burden that I get. Like, yep, yep, that's, that's where it lands. So, uh, so uh, in spite of all that, we are looking forward to, and if you haven't been a part of one of these, it is a wonderful time. Um, the community comes out and, and joins us with this. And so I just wanna encourage you, we would obviously love for you to come out and to, to have a game and to have a car set up and to serve and do those, to do those things. But we also want you to come out with your family and participate in the night. We want you to invite your friends. We want you to invite your neighbors. We want you to have an opportunity where we can come and bless them and bless our community and engage in conversations and in relationships. And then at the end of the night, I'll make 95% of you angry with me when I don't choose yours, right? And I will say this, on the night of it, I am going to ask two people to join me in being the judges so that I'm not the only one getting dirty looks, all right? So uh, we'll, we'll go from there. I, I do wanna mention yesterday was, was man camp. It's been years. Man camp was something that happened here at Willow Ridge when I got here and, and for, for a lot of different reasons, well, it was time to take a break from man camp and, and God really led Jared and, and his team to bring it back and, and we had that yesterday and it was a blast and I, and I shared this with Jared as we all went out, a large group of guys onto him and Gwen's property and they invited us out there and it was just a wonderful time of fellowship and the activity were, were great and the food was, was wonderful and the fellowship was even better. But the best part, and, and this is what I loved, and, and Jared shared from his, from his heart as God gave him the vision for this uh, about keeping the main thing the main thing. And so after lunch, uh, Jared got up and he, and he spoke. And, and Jared's been a part of the team singing up here for, for a long time, taking a break, busy with kids, right? We all know what that's like. Uh, and Jared said, you know, I can get up and sing in front of 10,000 people and be good, but to come up here and stand before uh, just a small handful of people and speak makes me, makes me nervous. 
but he got up there and crushed it. Um, and here's what he said. I just want to give you the cliff notes because one day, man, like I'm going to be out of town and I'm going to need you to come and preach because they need to hear this message, right? Um, he, he said, what does it mean to be a man? And there's a lot of ways that a lot of different people are defining that. He said, what does it mean to be a man? And he went and he, he said, let's see what scripture says. And he read, and it's on the screen, I apologize, but 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through 14, be watchful, stand firm in faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Just a wonderful picture of what it means. So Jared, I just want to say thank you for all that y'all did, your team, everybody, y'all crushed it yesterday. But the best thing is, man, you listened to the Lord and the Lord shared this with you. And we're going to find bigger audiences for you to share that with, right? We're, we're going to keep going with that. Uh, and, and wonderful, wonderful job. So thank you, man. Well, let's, we're going to jump in this morning in, in James chapter three. And, and before I do this, I want to say uh, something as when you become a parent and the longer you are a parent, the more you recognize all the stuff that your parents went through with you, right? Amen. That's what we realize. And here's what I've come to come to know, both in my study of scripture, my being a parent and have been parented in my life that when you hear a correction more than once, you need to draw two more, you need to draw at least two conclusions from that. So someone corrects you over and over again with the same thing, there's two things that immediately need to resonate in your mind. Conclusion number one, what they're correcting me about is important. It is valuable to the person who is saying it. And so if the correction is with your child, clean your room, clean your room, clean your room, what you're communicating to them is, it's important for me that your room is clean, so clean it. When your boss at work says, don't be late, don't be late, don't be late, right? They're saying that because you coming to work on time is important for them. So as the hearer, we need to recognize that the one speaking that places value on that behavior that they're giving you, that the correction that they're giving you. Now, conclusion number two is this. When you hear correction more than once, what needs to resonate in your mind is this. Oh, I struggle with that. I struggle with that. Continually, when I was small, my parents said to me, clean your room. Why did they say that? Because it was important to them, number one, and number two, I was really bad at it, right? And they wanted a better version of me for when I got married one day, right? So they would say to me, because it was important to them, and I struggled with it, back to being late, right? I guarantee you, your boss has never conned to the person who gets there five minutes early and says, make sure you're here on time. Why? Because they don't struggle with it. But if you are one who thinks, I've got to be at work at five minutes, and the line at Starbucks is only 12 deep, I think I can make it, right? If that's you, and I get you, right? I understand you, right? If that was you, you probably hear that, because not only is important to your boss, but you struggle with it. Now, what this is leading us to this morning is this, scripture does this for us. There's repetition in scripture. Oftentimes in certain books, one of the authors will seem to harp on a point over and over again, or it will be a consistent theme of scripture. In fact, one of the things that I teach people as I, as I have taught before and will teach again, teaching people how to read the Bible, to study techniques that we can use. I say, when you see things, when you see words that are repeated, underline them. And then after you've read back, come back and look at those words that are underlined and ask yourself this question, why is the author? Author repeating these words over and over and over again. Well, because it's important to the author, 
and as something that you probably struggle with, that humanity struggles with. So when we see repetition, we need to take note because it's important. And one of the things of repetition in the Bible is the tongue, the mouth, our words. It's something that we consistently see from Scripture. And so we're going to look at that in the entirety of Scripture here in just a moment to give us some context for James 3. But what I wanted to paint a, a picture for you in your mind like this. The tongue, your mouth, your words are like a hammer. Like a hammer. What do you think about a hammer? A hammer is a tool. A hammer is an instrument that when given to someone can become a great source of power and blessing and goodness, right? A hammer can be used to build, a hammer can be used to create, and a hammer can be used to provide in the same way that a tongue can. But also a hammer in the hands of a wrong person can do great harm. It can be used to destroy, it can be used to attack. And even a hammer given to the hand of a person who's ignorant about the proper things to do with a hammer, even though not intentionally, can be used not for benefit, but for harm. And this is what the Bible teaches us about the tongue. This is what the Bible teaches us about our mouth, about our words, and all the way through Scripture. So I'm going to kind of hit some high points. This is not all the Bible verses, but it is a lot of them that I want us to see this about the tongue. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. Proverbs 13, three, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens his uh, wide his lips comes to ruin. So in Proverbs, in this book of wisdom, what we see is this contrast of, of death or life, of, of good or bad bad of help or harm that can come from the tongue, both to those who stand in the way of it and to the person who uses it. And Jesus also speaks to the tongue as well, at least in two different times. In Matthew verse, uh, chapter 12, starting verse 34, Jesus says, you brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account of every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Matthew 15, 18. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person. It's continued on in the New Testament. Paul communicates this with some of his churches that he writes to, Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Colossians 3, 8. But now you must put them away, all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Later on in Colossians 4, verse 6, 
Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And then bringing us to James, James has already addressed this in James 1.26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So from Old Testament wisdom to the teachings of Christ, to the writings of the apostles, what we find is this, that our words matter and that they matter greatly. Now, when we're gonna talk about the tongue, when I say the tongue, we're gonna say the tongue over and over again, think your mouth, your words, the intent of this. What I want us to kind of understand that some of us, right, we, we use this word oftentimes in our culture, I think I've heard it more recently in the last maybe five years than I ever heard is, you know, this person or that person needs to develop a filter, right, right? Some of us, we don't have a filter, we have a basketball goal hoop, right? There's something that's there, but there's holes all in it, you know? And it's just going through whatever's there, right? And so we think that we just need to develop a filter. We just need to stop saying what we are thinking. We need to process through that and think through that, right? But instead, I don't want us to come with the simplicity that they or me or you need to just develop a filter. And instead, what I want us to get to is that what we're talking about is a spiritual discipline that changes who I am. It transforms us through the power of Christ, and now it transforms how I think, and then transforms then how I use my words. So it's not just the manifestation of what we say, but it's the heart of the person who says it. So it's not just enough to say, oh, I'm gonna sit there and swallow that, all right? There's a part of that. There's a part of wisdom and timing in our words that matter. But for more, for more so for us is what's coming from the heart that leads to the words that we say, right? And that's what we wanna get to, that's what we wanna understand. So let's look, start in James chapter three, start in verse one, we'll read all the way through verse 12. James writes and says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire in a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. 
from the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And so what I want us to look at of what James is pushing his audience to is this. It's pursuing vocal holiness. Right? Look back verses 1 and 2. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So the, the, the Bible is clear, right, that you and I are to, as followers of Jesus Christ, as those who say that I identify in his death, burial, and resurrection, I've been saved by him. I'm a son, I'm a daughter, I'm a child of the living God. That you and I are to pursue holiness and we are to desire what's set in us is to no longer hold on to the sinful characteristics, traits, and patterns of our life, right? But instead replace them with the desire for holiness, right? When Peter writes in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, he, he reminds uh, his audience of Leviticus 19 and 20, where, where God says to his people, be holy as I am holy. So there's this desire within us, even though you and I in our own ability cannot achieve perfection and holiness to have the desire to do this. And, and what James does is he kind of sets a, a warning in, in verse number one that, that's important, that is something that they're dealing with when he warns about teachers or, or those who desire to become a teacher. And he says, and, and here's the reasons why. Two reasons. Teachers use words and teachers' words are of great weight and great influence, right? And so he has this, this warning. He's, he's saying to them, what comes out of your mouth as you teach matters, but then he's going to continue on that what comes out of your mouth, not only as you teach, but as you live your life matters. Whether it's a, a word spoken in a moment or a word spoken that carries for eternity, right? That's what Jesus says. What comes out of the heart, what comes from the heart is going to come out of the mouth and that it's an accurate index of our spiritual health. Here, here's the thing that, that helps kind of resonate in me of what our words reveal about us, right? Typically, um, every day when Erin's leaving work, she calls me, right? And within the first five seconds of that phone conversation, we can tell who's had the bad day, right? I, I can't see her, she can't see me. We can't read each other's body language. We don't know the ins and outs of the details of that day, but simply by the words and the tone that we use, one of us, if not both of us, can realize and recognize, right, the difficulty or the ease of someone's day. 
Why? Because our words, the manner in which we speak, even in conversation with, between a husband and a wife, as something as trivial in the scope of eternity about the events that have happened during that day, we can tell in each other's conversation. And the same thing can be said about your and my relationship with Christ. What do you say? How do you say it? Because it's going to come from the heart. Because for a time, we can mask things. For a time, we can flow things through a filter. But what's going to come out over the course of a person and who they are will reveal this, right? I read this quote this week. It says, spiritual maturity is evidenced by the use of the tongue. Tongue mastery is the fruit of self-mastery. So let's look at the tongue. Why is the tongue so destructive? Why is the tongue so harmful? Why is it important from Proverbs to the teachings of Jesus to the writings of the apostles? Why is it so important that, that we see this and that we come to wrestle with this? Why does James take a moment to speak to those who wish to teach and then draw back from that and talk about the power of words for all of us? And so the first thing I want us to, to look at in verses three through five is the power of the tongue. James says he, and, and James continues on in painting beautiful pictures to help us understand. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So James here gives us two pictures to describe the power of the tongue. He talks about horses and ships. Now I don't know anything about either one of those, but God gives us a wonderful tool called Google, right? So compared to the bit given to the horse, right? I didn't know this. I Googled what's the average weight of a bit. The average weight of a bit for a horse is one pound, right? Well, yeah, I'm going to take a pound of metal and stick that in my mouth. That's not going to be fun, right? So what's the average weight of a horse? A thousand pounds. So what's one pound can determine the direction of something that's a thousand pounds. James continues on, he says, the, the, the rudder of a ship controls the direction of the ship, even though the ship is large, and even though the winds that push the ship are powerful. So here's what I found out. It, it has always kind of amazed me, right? When you, uh, my, my experience with boats is usually something called a John boat and a trolling motor. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's where we're at, you know? Um, and, and it, but it always has amazed me that when I get into a John boat to go fishing, that there's like the little tiny part right there on the trolling motor and it's gonna direct, you know, usually me and somebody my size or, or, or close to, right, around in this body of water. But then I got to thinking about what James is talking about. And James is talking about these massive boats with these large sails that's going to be pushed by the winds out on the ocean and out on the sea. And so I thought like, well, what would a size of one of those rudders look like, right? We're not talking about two guys from South Carolina sitting in a swamp fishing, right? We're talking about cargo and we're talking about a crew and we're talking about moving across large bodies of water where you can't even see land. So you've got to make sure that the ship can go in the direction in which the pilot is directing it. So, so what does that need to look like? And here 
here's what I found out in the boats that, that James is describing, that the rudder must be 2% of the underwater profile of a boat in order to control it. So not the entire size of the boat, not the entire square footage of the boat, but when you go to make the rudder for the boat, you take the part of the boat that's gonna be underwater, you find out the size that that is, and you take 2% of that number, and that's the size that the rudder needs to be. So if a boat has roughly 2,000 square feet of an underwater profile, then, then the rudder only has to be 40 feet, right? From thousands to 40. And so what we see here is that small items can be impactful items and the same is for the tongue. In all my years of ministry, coming close to 20 years of ministry now, in all the times that God's given me the ability and, and the opportunity to sit down and counsel with men and women and, and, and kids, the number one area of hurt that people share. It's not about something physically that's happened to them. It's not about something financially that's happened to them. It's not about something that's been taken from them. When I look back over 20 years, more conversations than I could even count, the number one area that rises to the top of the hurt that people struggle with and can't seem to move past in their life are the words of destruction that are spoken to them. I'm not talking about words of correction. I'm talking about words of destruction, words of hurt, words of pain. Paul says that just as, right, this, I'm sorry, James says, just as this small bit, right, can determine and can move and can change a horse, right, just as powerful as it is that a small rudder can move a ship loaded with cargo and crew and going against and with the winds that are there. As much power as you can imagine in that, so too is the tongue, especially when the tongue brings words of destruction. So let's look at the destruction of the tongue. He continues on painting pictures in verses six through eight. He says, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on the fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast, and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So, so two illustrations that I want us to look at that he does about the destruction of a, of a tongue is, is, is James says the, the tongue is a fire. Think about what starts a fire? A spark, a spark. So a couple months ago, we were cleaning in our garden and cleaning out some tree limbs and some things were dead. And I had a, I had a burn pile that needed to be burned in the backyard. 
So I called a neighbor of mine and said, uh, hey, one of the best conversations I've had in a long time. I said, hey, you still got that blowtorch? He said, yeah. I said, could you bring it down? All right, I need to, I need to burn some stuff. He said, absolutely, right? So he comes down and brings this blowtorch. And I'm not talking like one of those welding ones, right, that you get at Lowe's. I'm talking like the full blowtorch, you know? And we hook it up to a propane tank. And I, I'm like a kid in a candy shop. It's like Christmas morning. I get a blowtorch. Don't play with fire, kids, right? We're, we're using this as trained experts, but I've got to set this burn pile on fire, right? And let's do this quick. So I get there and we, we turn on the propane and then he says to me, well, you know, we've got to start it, right? Yeah. How are we going to do that? He says, well, you're going to have to take a lighter and get really close to that and just get a spark and get your hand out of the way. And I said, okay, have you done this before? And he said, yeah. I said, well, why don't you do it? <laughs> and he said, cause it ain't my yard, <laughs> right? And so I walk over there and I got the lighter and I'm, I'm clicking the lighter trying to get it to work and it's just spark, 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 spark. And I'm getting kind of nervous now, right? Cause I don't, I, I like my hands, you know? And, and so he's like, that'll be enough, that'll be enough, that'll be enough. And so we get it over there and, and, and it sparked, right? And then the, the torch was lit and we lit the fire and we burned up all the, 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 the limbs and branches and things that needed to be burned, right? But just from a simple spark that was created, all that needed to be destroyed was destroyed. And in the same way, the words we use can destroy a life. If you've ever talked with someone who's experienced verbal abuse in their life and ask them what that was like, on a rare occasion do they say, you know, I lived in a home where I was constantly yelled at. Like that happens. But more times than not, the verbal abuse that people experience are not the deep cuts that come at them but instead they're the small cuts that increase over time and over time and over time and they matter, right? And what we begin to see are these small moments of words matter because it's a spark that starts a fire and then destroys as it consumes what lies in its path. And James says, this is what we can be. And he also says that, that, that the tongue is as a world of unrighteousness. Well, here's the picture that we get, hell, hell. You wanna experience hell on earth? That's not a place that we can go to, but it can be a culture created by the words that we speak. And James says that, that this is what this begins to look like, a place where nothing good comes from, a place where nothing of God is present, a place of nothing of love, nothing of peace, just a place of death. And this is the destruction that can come, not only to those who stand in the path of the words, but the person who speaks them as well. Bruce Waltke said this, a fool's tongue is long enough to cut his own throat. A fool's tongue is long enough to cut his own throat. 
It's not just about the destruction that it brings others, but it's also the destruction that it brings on itself, right? And so what's the spiritual approach that we take to this? Where is being that we begin to, to work, right? Well, James says, you know, every creature of the earth can be tamed by man, but the tongue cannot be tamed by man. So then we just give up. Well, I can't tame it. I can filter it, but I can't tame it. So do we chalk this up as this is just something we've all got to bear through in life? This is just how I am. This is what it's going to be like to be around me. Is this is the pursuit that we have? No, 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 no. Because see, this isn't a conversation about being better. This is a conversation about being holy. Right? And when I pursue better, I can chase better. You can chase better. Why? Because the standard of measurement is ourself. Where am I at? Then I want to get better, and I want to get better, and I want to get better. And every single time in the movement of the journey, in the pursuit of the journey of better, I am the standard. But when I move off of better, and I pursue holiness, and I pursue godliness, I begin to realize that I don't need more of me to get better, but I need more of God to get holy. And in that, he's the standard and he's the means, and he's the power. So we see the power of the tongue, we see the, the, the destructive nature of the tongue, and I want us to look at the inconsistency of the tongue as we look at this in James 3, 9 through 12. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the image and likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring uh, pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Neither can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So the tongue in all of this shows the inconsistency of what we say we are to who we really are. He says, with this you bless the Father, but you curse his people who are made in his image and in his likeness. You can't do that. You can't praise God and curse one another and say you're good. James says these two truths, they cannot align. I cannot claim love for God, yet hate his people. He says, can a spring have fresh and salt water? No. Can a salt pond produce fresh water? No. Can a fig tree produce olives? No. Can a grapevine produce figs? No. It shows who you really are by what comes from your mouth. So what do we do? What do we walk out from here? Should, should we just look at these muscles that reside in our mouth and shake our fist at God for even giving him to us. Like, what do we do? What do we do? I think it's important for us to understand the purpose of the tongue. 
in Psalm 51, it's my favorite psalm in Scripture. David, who, I, I get David, right? We were, t- we were talking in, in my men's group on Thursday at lunch about the guys in the Old Testament and, and different ones that we identify with and so much of David's struggle in life. Like, I, I, I get David so often, so I love to read his psalms that he writes. But, but David, after Nathan the prophet, addressed David's sin with Bathsheba. David experiences this, this great amount of brokenness. David's brought death and destruction and hurt and pain to some of the closest people to him, to some of the most loyal people to him. And in Psalm 51, David begins to write about his interaction with the Lord as David goes through the reality of what he's done. And and in Psalm 51, in the earlier verses, David asked God to forgive him and to cleanse him. David shares his desires to be transformed by God and given a clean heart. And then he says this in verse 13 in Psalm 51. He says, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver from me, uh, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. So David paints this picture. He says, as a person who stood in the overwhelming beauty that is the forgiveness of God, who desires transformation, who desires cleansing, that God in your faithfulness, I'm gonna do something. And it's gonna come from my mouth. David says that from my mouth, I'm gonna teach transgressors your way. As one who's been saved, I'm gonna bring the gospel to those who haven't heard. That I'm going to uh, 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 see that sinners return to you. That out of what you've brought me out of, I'm gonna share the story of God and his faithfulness and his people will return to him. David says that from my mouth, my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You ever wonder why we gather and hear and sing? And that all throughout scripture, God has his people do that. Consistently throughout scripture, God doesn't say, gather together and build me stuff. We see it, 
Not consistently. We can do it, not every time. You ever wonder why we gather together and sing and don't gather together in here and, and write? We see God call people to write and they do it and God calls us to write and we do it, but consistently throughout scripture is we sing. Why? Because God wants to hear it. God wants to hear it. I love when my kids talk to me. I love when my kids tell me how their day's going, good and bad. I love when my kids tell me they love me. I love when my kids tell me thank you. I love when my kids tell me they're sorry. I love when my kids open up their heart and bring me into the journey that is their life so that I'm a part of it. And God says, so too for us. I wanna go back to what we started off with. Your tongue and my tongue, it's like a hammer. It can bring life. It can bring protection. It can bring provision. It can bring encouragement. It can take sinners and point them to the holy God. It can bring us into confession before him. Or our tongue can be like a hammer and be used for destruction, for pain, for hurt. Let me close with this. Are you building or are you destroying? Because what's in your heart is gonna come from your mouth. Would you pray with me? God, we come to you this morning, Lord, in the grace and the goodness of who you are. And Lord, we thank you that as you took us and as you put our bodies together and as you made us, you gave us a tool. You gave us a mouth. You gave us a tongue, Lord, that we could use to share life and to share hope and to share truth, to use for correction and for purpose for meaning to sing praises to you to offer prayers to you to tell others of you Lord we thank you for that we thank you that we're able to communicate with one another we, th we thank you Lord that we're able to talk about the hope that we have in Christ it's not simply a thought that resonates in us or a feeling that we have but we can communicate it we can share it we can praise you for it and so God I thank you but like so many other things Lord that you've given us to all use them for your glory 
for your renown and for our good. Lord, we've, we've perverted it. We've manipulated it. We've taken it not to be used as the instrument that you've given us as an instrument of life, but we've taken it and we've used it as an instrument of death. When we gossip, when we cut others, when we slander, when we speak ill will, when we delight with it in the misery of others, when we speak of things that we long other than you, when we abuse, when we lie, for listening to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.